Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, while you're turning there, I'll ask you a question. How many of you want to love your life? You want to love your life. How many of you want to love the life that you live? How, how many of you want to, uh, to, well, I mean, everybody does, don't we? I mean, don't we all want to love life? Uh, and, and can I just be honest? It's easy to love life when you're on a mountain stream in Montana catching fish. Am I right? I, maybe not for you, but that's easy loving life for me. I mean, it's real easy to love life when I'm in the mountains catching fish. It's easy to love life when you're sitting on a beach under an umbrella, good book in hand, surrounded by friends that you like, <laughs> surrounded by family and friends, and uh, just, just enjoying that. You know, that, that, it's easy to love life in those moments. Um, it's harder to love life when the car breaks down. It's, it's harder to love life when uh, the air conditioning at your home stops working. It's harder to love life with a leaky roof. It's easy to love life when everybody's saying good things about you and everybody thinks you're the coolest, bee, coolest cat since... Uh, sliced bread. It's easy. It's easy to love life when uh, everything at work is just thumbs up. It's awesome. It, it's it's harder to love life when you're in hospice care. It, it's harder to love life when you're taking chemo. It's harder to love life on your back in a hospital room. It's easy to love life when you get the promotion. It's hard to love life when you get fired because you're a Christian. It's easy to love life when uh, you're promoted in your community because they recognize your good works as a follower of Jesus and they think, wow, it's good to have this person in our community. It's hard to love life when you're stoned by your neighbors because you're a follower of Jesus. The question is, is there hope for loving life even in the face of difficult days, tough times? Is there hope for loving life when there is no mountain stream, when there is no chair at the beach, when people aren't saying good things? Is it possible to love life when the AC goes out at your house? Our passage this morning says, absolutely, yes, it's possible. There's hope. There is hope to love life. Now, uh, let me be clear. 
The way we define loving life and the way you really love life are two different things sometimes. See, we define life as my feet in a mountain stream catching rainbow trout. Ah, I love in life. Your loving life may be, oh, yeah, we had a great party Friday night. It was awesome. Now, your definition of loving life is everything's going well and nothing's going wrong, and therefore I love life. Now, that's the way most people love life. They love life. Uh, uh, just look at the memes on Instagram or, or how people portray their loving life in, in, on social media. It's everything good. Every, it's desserts. Lots and lots and lots of chocolate desserts, and I'm loving life right? But when we look at God's Word, not just this passage, but throughout Scripture, when we look at God's Word, the promise is you and I can love life. We can be satisfied in life. You and I can love life even when life is not so kind to us, even when circumstances think, even if we're being persecuted because we're followers of Jesus. We can love life. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 10. Now, it's not part of the passage today, but it really does set the foundation for what Peter writes beginning in verse 13, okay? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. So whether you got the paper or the digital, go ahead and get there. Now, Peter is quoting Psalm 34. Now, you might not know Psalm 34, but probably you've seen or read something from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 has this verse, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And now that's Psalm 34, and Peter has mentioned Psalm 34 several times already in this letter. And so it probably is kind of a familiar or a favorite of his. So he mentions it again, and, and this is what he quotes from Psalm 34. Listen. Uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, a couple of things. Uh, verse 10, love life, you can underline that. Good days, underline that. Verse 11, turn away from evil and do good, underline do good, seek peace, pursue it. And then verse 12, underline righteous. All of those give us clue as to what he's talking about. What, what we find here is that God is speaking to you and me today, and he said, hey, listen, you can love your life. You can love your life when you pursue the good. Now, that's the big category, when you pursue the good. What's he talking about? Pursuing the good. Well, there in verse uh, 8 and 9, he, he gave some examples. Don't talk ugly about people. Be kind. Verse 10, he says, uh, refrain your, your, your lips from speaking deceit and your tongue from evil. He said, again, uh, seek peace, pursue it. He's, he's saying these are some things that you can do. But, but when, when Peter talks about righteous, when he talks about doing good, he's talking more than just your morals. See, there are some moral people that don't give a rip about God. Now, I want you to understand, there are 
moral people that don't have a friendship with God. There are people that are very moral, but they are separated from God by their sin. God's not saying you're going to love life if you're a moral person. He's not saying that at all. See, righteous takes it a step further. Righteous means that you are walking in concert with what God has designed and what God desires. That's righteous. So it's not just doing good, but it's walking in a, in a relationship with God so that you are living for his pleasure. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4. Go to verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, read 1 and 2. Therefore, all right, so what, Paul, what Peter does, he says Jesus suffered a lot, okay, and, and, and yet God honored him. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 22 says that, that God exalted Jesus, all right? Now, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with that same mindset, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, verse 2, so that he no longer should live for the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but he should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the will of God. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying, okay, because of all that Jesus has done, it's changed your life. And it's changed your life in such a way that now you should live not for your pleasures or the pleasures of other people, but rather you should live for the pleasure of God. All right, now, you wrap all that together, and here's the big picture. And this is counterculture. It's not what you're going to look at. The memes on social media are not going to say this. But if you want to love life, here's, here's the key. As God has designed, not, not Eric's idea, this is the way God has designed it. You want to love life. He who would love life and see good days. Here it is. Are you ready? To love life is to live life God's way. Just that simple. Not earth shattering, but this is key. You want to love your life? Then you have to live life God's way. Now, this is so challenging for us because we're all like kindergartners. God, I'll do what you want as long as I get what I want. That's a kindergartner equation. And our friends, look, you give me what I want and I'll do what you want. But God is not our kindergarten classmate. God's not in middle school any longer. God is God. And we are his servants. We are his children. We are part of his family, but he's God. We're not. And so God, the creator of the universe, has created us and the world in such a way as this is the equation that leads to loving life. You want to love your life, then you live life God's way. The way to short-circuit loving life is because you aren't living life God's way. Some of you have been believers longer than I've been alive. Some of you have been believers um, a couple of weeks. But there's one common equation that we all share, and that is the struggle to live life God's way. So you're here, and you should be 
loving your life regardless of what you face. You should be loving your life. You've been a believer for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. You, you've been loving life, but you are the most bitter person that I've ever encountered. And why are you so bitter? Oh, why are you so mad at the world? Why don't you love life? You claim that Jesus is your king, but you are mean as a snake. Why? It's because you missed this equation. You've missed this. You think that God has um, set life up so that he might make you happy. Or so that he might let you get your pleasures. No. God has set life up so that we will be satisfied as we live life his way. Now look down in verse 13 and 14. Who is he that will harm you? If you become followers of what is good, this idea of followers of what is good, that's living life God's way. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be, what's the word there? Blessed. Blessed means that that even if the bad stuff happens, even if the wheels come off the car, Even if the roof caves in, even if you lose your job or are put in prison because you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what you face, if you are living life God's way, you will be blessed. That means you are the particular object of God's special full flavor favor. That means that God is looking upon you and saying, I am going to look at Eric Thompson. Look, he's living life my way. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to satisfy him inside completely. I'm going, to, I'm going to take away any of the missing parts. I'm going to make sure that even though he may be in chains today, because he's living life my way, I'm going to satisfy his soul. So you're not satisfied because you're looking for the wrong source to satisfy your soul. If you want to love your life, then you've got to live life God's way. It's just that simple. You want to walk in the blessing of God. It is not some mantra that you proclaim. It's not some declaration that you make. It's not speaking to the skies and saying, I want to be blessed. You want the blessing of God, then you've got to live life God's way. You were rescued from sin, death, hell, and the grave so that you might serve the living king of glory. Not so that you could do stuff you want to do. And to, to live life God's way means that we, sub, we submit all of our ambitions to God's ambition. We submit all our desires to God's desire. We submit all our will to God's will. Now, that's not, that's not easy. I know it's not easy. It's tough. It's hard. My goodness, I struggle with this, but my, uh, please understand, if we're going to love life, regardless what the world might throw at us, regardless of what the devil uh, uh, shoots at us, if we're going to love life, it's because we're living life God's way. And many of us are as unhappy as, as they come because we're not trying to live life God's way. So what does Peter do? What does God teach? It's, it's that all right, if you want to love your life, then you need to live life God's way. So how do you get to that place where you're, every day you're waking up, I'm going to live life God's way. I'm going to live life God's way. I'm going to live life God's way. Well, the good news is Peter goes ahead and lays it out for us. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, okay, hey, do better. 
He, he didn't just do that. He said, okay, do better, but here's some things that God wants you to know so that will help you get better, right? I, I want to do better at living life God's way, don't you? The carrot out there is I, I want to live life God's way because I want to love life. I want to love, love life in my home. I want to love life in my finances. I want to love life in, in, in my work. I want to love life. I, I know at work, I work at church, and, of course, everything's all holy up here, but I, I, I want to I love life wherever I am. So the way I get there is not by getting my way. Oh, please, please, please. And I'm off script, by the way. I, but you got to get this. If there's one disease that the church has, not just, not just this church, but including this church, not just this church, you, but this church, you and me, if there's one disease that we have is that we decide that what we want is the way that we're going to love life. If I get what I want, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to love, I'm going to love the life. But if I don't get what I want, I don't like you and I don't love life. Guys, that's not the way God designs. God designs it this way. You want to love life, then live life God's way. So how do we get there? How do we live life God's way? Uh, second part of verse 14. Uh, by the way, there, there are like three commands that, that, that God gives us in this passage. I mean, literal commands. And the first one is verse 14. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That's Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12, where Isaiah is supposed to, God's talking to Isaiah and he's saying, all right, I want you to go and I want you to preach uh, to people in Jerusalem that aren't going to like what you have to say, and they're going to be ugly to you. They might try to kill you, but don't worry about their threats. Literally, <laughs> don't let fear freak you out. Now, that is step one. You, you want to live life God's way, don't let fear freak you out. Literally, that's what, that's what this quotation is. It says, that it says there's something to fear. Uh, threats here in, in, in verse uh, 14 uh, in the New King James says, don't be afraid of their threats. That term threat literally means something to be afraid of. I mean, literally, it means this is a fearful thing. And, and so, so God says to Isaiah and to us, don't be afraid of a fearful thing and don't be dismayed. That term dismayed, don't be shook up. Or don't get emotionally unhinged. Or don't freak out. Now, it's hard to love life when you're freaking out with fear. But there are fearful things out there, right? Y'all perhaps remember me talking about my fear of ticks, right? I've got a mark on my arm. That's where a tick bit me. That's a couple of weeks ago. I had this, I, really, it's irrational fear of ticks. You want to know where it came from? When I was about four or five years old, uh, my dad took me to the barber in South Knoxville. Went to the barber, and the barber sat me up, and, and you had to have the little uh, seat on top of the armrest kind of thing. Sat me up there, sat there, and he found a tick in my voluminous hair. 
which is not uncommon for a four or five-year-old boy in the middle of the country, right? You're going to get a tick in your head. But the barber said, he looked at it, and I could feel him fiddling with it. He said, that looks like a smoky mountain, a rocky mountain spotted fever tick. That sounded terrifying to me. And I was, I mean, I could feel the tears well up in my eyes. What does that mean? I, I'm, I don't know what that means. But, but the barber, he was being funny, but he thought it was great. He, he continued. He said, you know, you can lose your fingers because of the Rocky Mountain spotted fever. I mean, now the tears are flowing. I mean, I'm just, they're flowing. And I thought, I don't want to lose my fingers. Uh, my, you know, my dad didn't even know what was going on until he sees me, his son crying. He comes over and he figures it out and he says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But it was set in my mind. Again, I can almost step on a snake and I'll be okay. But if I find a tick on my arm, tick! <laughs> I, I kid you not, I've been taking the strongest antibiotics we have in the house. For this tick. I, probably, I don't know if it'll do any good. I don't know if it'll do a bit of good, but I'm going to be safe. It's malaria medicine is what it is. I'm taking malaria medicine for this tick bite. It's crazy. There are fearful things out there. So when you're facing fearful things, how can you not freak out and still love life? Imagine it this way. Y'all remember Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you do. Maybe you read Lord of the Rings. A guy named J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it, wrote, wrote Lord of the Rings, and um, uh, actually wrote The Hobbit. And then the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, came after. And then uh, he partially completed a book called Silmarillion, which is a prequel to The Hobbit. And uh, anyway, he wrote all that. And if you didn't read the book, maybe you saw the movies. But the books are great. But um, Anyway, in the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, if you remember, there's a little hobbit named Frodo and his friend Sam, and then uh, uh, Pippin and Mary are there with them. The, all the hobbits are there, and then then you've got the dwarf, and you've got the elf, and then you've got uh, you, you've got the the person from uh, the man. You got Strider, who we know as Strider, but really it's Aragorn, and and then you've got the wizard Gandalf, and they're on this trip to take this ring and burn it in a fire to save the world, okay? And so they're on this journey, and their journey takes them through these dark mines underneath the mountains of Moria. And so they have to go through Moria to get to the other side, their destination. And, and it's a dangerous, scary place. There are dreadful things in there like orcs and stuff. And if you don't know what an orc is, you can Google it. Uh, they're real. Uh, just kidding. They're not. They're the orcs, and, and, and so they, they know that they're going to have to do battle with the orcs. But, and as they're doing battle with the orcs, all of a sudden they see all these orcs flee. I mean, run away because they hear the bump, bump, bumping of a balrog. Now, a balrog is an ancient creature that is evil incarnate. Sound familiar? It is, if you Google a picture of Balrog, it looks a lot like the devil himself. The Balrog was uh, uh, awakened by all the commotion going on in the mines of Moria, and the, the, the team, the Fellowship of the Ring, all these players, man, they are running for their life to get out because the Balrog is coming to get them. 
They run across this thin stone bridge. Underneath the bridge is a, a, a bottomless, seemingly bottomless canyon, uh, chasm. The team gets to the other side, and if you remember Gandalf, he stops and he turns. The Balrog is coming his way with its whip or sword of fire, and Gandalf takes a step closer. He turns to his team, the fellowship, and says, you, you run, go, and he stands on the bridge as the Balrog comes, and if you remember, he planted his staff on the stone, and he declared, you shall not pass. It was a courageous act. It was a sacrificial act because as far as we knew in Fellowship of the Ring, he sacrificed his life. He took the Balrog out. He stood between the Balrog and the team. He led to their rescue as he faced that fearful thing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once on account of sin. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. Put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. How can we keep from freaking out when fearful things come our way? Jesus, that's why. Jesus stands between us and death and sin and hell and the devil. And he stands between us and the greatest fearful things we might ever face. And he plants his staff and he stretches out his arms on a cross and he dies in the place of sinners and he says to death and he says to hell and he says to sin and he says to the devil, you shall not pass. And he looks to us and he says, run, you're saved. So when we have a flat tire on the interstate, we can look to Jesus who has already defeated the most fearful thing we can imagine. And we can trust him. That's why Peter says the second command, not only do, don't let fear freak you out, but the second command is you set Jesus as the guardian of your heart. You set Jesus as the guardian of your heart. Verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What does it mean to sanctify? It means literally to set, a, set apart. Essentially, here's what Peter's saying. He said, you need to set your life up as a sanctuary for worship of the living God where you commit all that you are to him and he commits himself to you. Paul wrote it a little bit differently, okay? Here's how Paul said it. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what keeps us from freaking out in fear? It's that Jesus is with us. 
He's with me, the king of glory, the creator of the cosmos, my savior on a cross, the one who raised, was raised from the dead, the one who embraces me as his very own. I belong to him, and yes, he belongs to me, and in his grip, I am safe. I love the Allstate commercials. Don't you love the Allstate commercials? I've been watching Allstate commercials for as long as I can remember. You're in good hands with Allstate. That's old school. But they've kind of kept the same theme. The commercials I really love are the Mayhem commercials. Mayhem commercials, you just Google it, you'll see them. Uh, mayhem commercials, that this is actor that portrays fearful things. Uh, a, a roof caving in. Uh, a teenage girl driving a car. I'm not making it up. It's really a teenage girl driving a car and creating all kinds of chaos. It, it's, it's, it's one thing after that. And, and, and in the midst of all the trouble, the, the actor says, you need to get all state insurance to protect you from mayhem like me. Guys, I'm telling you, Jesus is the good shepherd who stands ready to protect us from mayhem and Balrogs and any other fearful thing. But when we wake up in the morning, we need to set Jesus as the guardian of our life, our home, our family, our work, our emotions. We don't want to freak out in fear. It's hard to love life that way. So what do we do? We set Jesus as the guardian of our heart, and he casts out fear. As we think about all that God has done for us in Christ, I think it's just as important for the third command to take root in our heart, and that is to share the reason of the hope that we have with others. Now, many times what we do is we think internally. We think, okay, the way I can stand strong, the way I can pursue and live life God's way rather than live life for my pleasure is for Jesus to do all these things for me. And if Jesus does all these things for me, then I'm going to stand strong. But can I tell you that really doesn't work? I, I believe, I believe with all my heart that the reason the second part of verse 15 talks about and be always at ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. I think the reason he talks about that is because as we are ready to proclaim out loud, especially to a hostile audience, when we're ready to proclaim out loud to our friends, to our family, to people who ridicule us because of our faith, people who don't believe in God, agnostics or atheists or whoever, when we're ready to proclaim what we believe, it strengthens us. It strengthens us. Gandalf didn't have to stand and say, you shall not pass. But even as the words passed his lips, it gave him resolve to stand. So when you're at work and you're facing that guy that you work with that always makes fun of you because you go to church, calls you a sissy or whatever he calls you, and makes fun of you because you believe that Jesus is the only way to have life, or he makes fun of you because you believe that there is a heaven or you believe that there is a hell, and that guy is always ridiculing you, or because of your antiquated ideas, because of your faith and the idea that there are certain moral absolutes that are out there that you're holding on to because 
because of your faith. Um, And this guy is always making fun of you and always ridiculing you. Don't you think that it's about time for you to stand and say, hey, Bubba, man, I, I understand where you're coming from. I get it. I get it. You don't believe in heaven. You don't believe in hell. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in this. You don't believe in that. I understand. I once was just like you. I lived my life for my own pleasures, going from cotton candy moment to cotton candy moment and still coming up empty, always looking for the next thrill to satisfy what was empty in the inside of me. And no matter what I tried to fill that empty void, it came up empty. And I know the reason you make fun of me is because you don't understand me. But can I tell you, I understand you. I was you. I get you. I know why you're, why you're making fun of my beliefs. It's because they scare you a little bit. And they scare you because you know that if what I say is true, you're in a whole heap of trouble. And even while you mock me and even while you make fun of me and you may be my boss and you can fire me or demote me and that'll be okay too because can I tell you one thing? That God loved me with such a powerful love that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. And Jesus died on that cross in my place so that I might be rescued from the shame and the guilt of my sin. And he was raised from the dead to give me a new life. And when I placed my trust in him, he changed me from the inside out. Everything changed. And all those empty spots that I had, they disappeared. There is no dissatisfaction that I have except when I stop looking to Jesus to satisfy me. So, Bubba, I get it. I understand it, and I pray someday you'll get it too. See, when we defend with gentleness and kindness, you're not mad at Bubba. Bubba can't help what he thinks. I mean, he makes fun of me because he doesn't understand me. I don't have to get mad about that. I need to have gentleness and compassion. But every time I share the reason for the hope that is within me, I step even more solidly on the ground of living life God's way. And by the way, loving the life that I'm living. Would you bow your heads with me, please? At the end of chapter 4, Verse 5, God says that the people who want to make fun of you, verse 5, are going to give an account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Can, can I tell you that the way, only way to begin loving life even in the face of obstacles. And next week, we're going to look at more of the suffering idea. But the, way, the only way to love life is when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you are here, and you're not. You're not a follower of Christ. You're not ready for an eternity. And you, if you have to stand before God today, you would be entering into judgment. 
So today I invite you to choose Christ, to see that his death on the cross is the only sufficient payment for your sin and that you need that forgiveness that he offers because the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul is to be in friendship with God. And the only way to get into friendship with God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So today, I beg you to choose Christ, to repent your sin and to believe on Jesus. If you're here today and you are far from God, won't you take this moment to embrace Jesus? In a moment when we stand to worship the Lord together, there are going to be uh, ministers here at the front. You come and you share with them, I need to choose Christ today. And they'll help you do that. Most of you probably are followers of Jesus in this room. And if you are, can I just humbly suggest that maybe, maybe if we would stop thinking about what will please us and start focusing and leaning into full throttle what will please God, then we'll start loving life a whole lot more. And maybe today you need to, again, get rid of your junk. Whatever it is that you're holding on to to bring you pleasure that is contrary to who God is and what God desires, will you get rid of it? Today, will you commit yourself again to give all that you are to the God who has given you life and who promises to bless you? Again, this altar will be open and ministers are here, ready to pray with you and pray over you. So, Father, today we come and we invite you to take hold of our hearts and to have your way with us. God, to guard us from anything that would distract us from being obedient to you in this moment. God, I pray that you would help us in this room say yes to your call on our life, that we would Commit ourselves in this moment to live life your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.